Eric, you ready? In five, four, three, two, one. Go get him, go get him. Standing here, stand on those pedals. At Daytona Speedway for Arma Vintage Racing. About to head out. Back to the track here. Don't want to be uh, late for course clearance. It's never good. Hi, Eric. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, good. How are you doing? Excellent. So, uh, and uh, what is your, your two names again? Go ahead. Mark. And I'm Sarah. Mark and Sarah. So, thanks for coming on and talking to me. We can just jump right into it if you guys are ready. Absolutely. Let's yeah. Do it. All right. So, this, I believe, will be the EricSwanRacing.com podcast number 100. And uh, welcome to the show, the Mobility Duo. And um, to, uh, to get the into the triple digits already. It's exciting. Ooh. I, we're awesome. honored to be number 100, man. That's exciting. <laughs> That's Absolutely. yeah. That's cool. So um, you guys have a, a shared passion of mine um, in snowboarding. Um, snowboarding has been a big part of my life uh, when I was growing up more so, I'd say than now. But um, I was on the Dearborn Heights ski and snowboard. Uh, it wasn't really a, a team. It was more of a club uh, mm -hmm. atmosphere. So not competitive, but, you know, we would go to the uh, the local hills around here we don't really have mountains in michigan um so we would go to the local hills and uh, mount holly brighton pine knob were big uh for for us uh just about every friday for many years from i think fourth grade up until you know a senior year so a um, nice. uh, big big uh spot in my heart for snowboarding awesome very cool awesome yeah we we've heard uh we've heard good things about michigan you know like um, it's not technically on the map for, you know, big, big mountains, but, um, people have spoken highly of it. So, yeah. Yeah. There's always some snow on the ground in Michigan. And, uh, if it's in the right, uh, conditions, we can make our own, uh, which is nice. Yeah, that is nice. Absolutely. No kidding. <laughs> and, uh, where are you guys based now? So we're both born and raised in Oregon. And at the moment we're writing Mount Bachelor. So for the last nine years, we're at Timberline. Okay. and up in Mount Hood but mm. now we've been at Bachelor for the last couple or just this year yeah mm. and it's been amazing very, yeah. very good um yeah. and you guys have a decent snow base out there it sounds like yeah we do and we keep just getting more too uh in December it dumped a lot during Christmas time and then it was kind of sunny spring days for January oh. February and then March, April, May, mostly April, May has been just dumping. So we've been blessed in the springtime. Absolutely. And I've been following you guys on Instagram for quite a while. Mobility Duo 
uh, on Instagram and uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and what you're about. Cool. Yeah, so um, I am a doctor of physical therapy. Sarah has a variety of credentials. She's a licensed massage therapist, yoga instructor, personal trainer, high school health teacher. And essentially, we combined our skills um, to approach snowboarders and uh, snow athletes in general, but mostly snowboarders, um, to give them, you know, um, tips and, and, and um, not just tips, but advice and and everything that has to do with strength, flexibility, mobility, um, healthy living, um, injury prevention, recovery, rehab, you name it. Um, yeah. And that's how we uh, approach our, our, our social media and try to provide um, kind of, you know, a variety of funny videos to, to get the attention of others and then provide uh, informational videos uh, for people to utilize themselves. And then we have a, a series of other uh, things that we do as well, but that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the main thing of it. Yeah, I will say our main goal with Mobility Duo is to help keep snowboarders riding as long as possible. So we've been snowboarders for, I don't know, 15 years for long you, time, long yeah. time, like 10 years for me. And uh, we want to keep riding up until our older ages. Mm -hmm. We have friends and family who have gotten up there in like, you know, in age and they don't ride as much because their body aches all the time. And we want to try to eliminate that because not being able to use our passion or be able to do our passion is it's heartbreaking and so we want to be able to help people stay on the mountain longer yeah and um do you see at a certain age point people switching from snowboarding over to skiing to uh <laughs> to try to be um on the skis or on the on the vehicle longer instead of being on their butts or um, do you see people in their 80s still snowboarding? That's a really good question. So we've seen a couple of older people still snowboarding, but I do think the majority switches to skiing. However, it's just a different skiing. You don't fall as much as the idea, right? You're not bending over to strap in all the time. You're not um, landing on your wrists or your butt. You're mostly up all the time. However, with skiing, there are a lot of knee injuries. And so it's a little bit of a trade-off, but I do think that a lot of people switch to skiing at a certain point. Yeah. It's hard to say, honestly, because snowboarding is so young. Um, you know, we're, we're getting a, we're kind of going into uncharted territories as mm -hmm. far as this older, these kids that were snowboarding in the eighties, nineties um, are now getting older, um, middle-aged adults and you know, like Sarah said, there is, there is, uh, you know, it requires a lot of flexibility, mobility to bend over and strap your boot in. You know, I think these uh, step-ons are a game changer and, and could change the, the scope of what, how old people are snowboarding till. But yeah, I mean, I, I think we haven't really seen that yet. Um, and I think as, as the next decade, you're going to see a lot more of that. And you're going to see a lot of older snowboarders on the mountain. Um but it is, it is one thing to like switch from snowboarding to skiing in your 50s and 60s. It's not easy. Yeah, right? it's a whole new sport, basically. It's a whole new yeah. way of going down the mountain. Absolutely. So that, that's a commitment in itself. And I would be surprised if someone's willing to, to do that and change that if they've been snowboarding their whole life. So um, there's new developments, technology uh, that could allow people to keep doing this aside from mm -hmm. just the strength, flexibility, mobility it requires. So. Yeah, it's interesting to see how everything progresses. And uh, there's there's not just one type of ski anymore. There's uh, dozens of different for uh, whether you're doing jumps or tricks, 
or um, you had the short the short versions yeah. of the skis, and even uh, I've seen some. I don't know if you call them toys, but the they have like skateboards now that are used on the snow. That's yep. that's pretty cool innovation. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, actually, just recently we had an event here at Mount Bachelor called Rondé Van. And it was just where everyone comes and camps out on the mountain for a couple of days. It's really fun. But they had a couple of competitions. They had a snow skate competition, the skateboard you were talking about. Yeah. And they had a ski skate competition with the short skis. Yeah. And it's fun to watch all those different, like, I don't know, varieties of skiing going on. Yeah, it's very cool. And so you guys are heavy into yoga. I've been doing yoga for, for quite a while. And I advocate for that as much as possible. Now I do the hot yoga that may not apply to your, to your part of it. Uh, you do cold yoga for getting ready in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, I guess you'd call it cold yoga. Hot yoga is great. I love hot yoga during the winter months where I'm like, I just want to be warm and go do that. Sometimes it is a little intense. I've heard of people almost passing out or oh, yeah. too warm. Um, but yeah, we do cold yoga. <laughs> on the mountain but my classes that I teach on a regular basis they're just at home online so we'll just call them lukewarm yoga yeah sure. <laughs> at room temperature <laughs> yeah room temperature yoga <laughs> I do think I think I do think to a degree though I mean yoga is yoga is yoga like there are there are different varieties and different outlooks and histories to each uh form but um I think at, at the end of the day it has the same foundation whether that's the the physical the spiritual um the, the breathing side to it um you know I, regardless of, of you know form that you utilize it's, it's yoga at the end of the day so it's all good yeah and it's very mental too for me it's uh sometimes difficult to you got a lot of things going on is to calm your mind and just do the exercise and stop thinking about um they even say a lot of times okay, that exercise is done. Stop thinking about it. Think about the next one now. Think about what you're doing now with your body. And I'm like, oh yeah, I was, I was thinking about what I just did already. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's the fun part too. And that's how I think yoga relates to the mountain and probably motocross too so much is you have to be in the moment or you yeah. don't have to, but it trains you to be in the moment. And yeah. that's what's so addicting. That's what the flow is all about, right? Whether you're writing or doing yoga, like it's that flow that's so mm. meditative. Yeah, that's so elusive or, or that you want to keep coming back towards. You know, that's why I started riding a bicycle as a, as a kid because you just feel free. You're like, I can do anything. I can go anywhere with this. Yeah. And then you start to get better and your skills improve. And you're like, wow, I can really start pushing the front tire in this corner. And, and yeah. it's okay, you know, because I understand the, the concepts and the principles behind it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, that, that Sarah brings up a good point. Is is that flow? I think is the thing that everyone is chasing. Is you know, especially in, in any type of sport that we do, it's that ability to make those movements, see the play, see the the track ahead, and 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 decide kind of what you're going to do prior to it occurring. Mm -hmm. um, that applies to on the mountain on a snowboard. That applies to on a on a motorcycle or a dirt bike, whatever you're at. Um, and then that applies to yoga. So, um, you know, chasing that flow and, and being able to um, harness that uh, on and off the mountain or track, whatever is, is kind of what we're, we're after. Yeah. And um, now for, for racing, I would always like close my eyes, sit on the bike and visualize what I'm going to do on the racetrack. But I never quite did that for, uh, for snowboarding because I wasn't really racing for snowboarding. It was more of a leisure activity. Yes, you want to do well, but I never 
like sat down and thought about what I was going to do as much before I did it. It was more like, oh, I'm just going to go down the hill and uh, mosey on down and try to do some nice turns and carve and watch out for the people. Yeah. Uh, people maybe out of control or, you know, not watching for you, turning across, going to different uh, lanes or different uh, runs down the mountain. Totally. And that's the difference between um, competition and just enjoying too. Like when you compete mentalization or is that what it's called? Visualization, like mentally, like see, like closing your eyes and seeing what you're going to do in your head is so powerful. Mm. Like there was an Olympic diver. I don't know her name, uh, but she got injured before the Olympics and all she could do to train was just visualize visualize her jumps, visualize her turns, and she ended up winning gold. Yeah. That's all she did was visualize. And that's a very powerful tool that um, competitors, if they don't use, they should. I think it's definitely underutilized. I've heard Michael Phelps talk about, he would go to the extreme of visualization where he would, he would visualize waking up in the morning, ex turning his alarm clock off, like going through the whole routine until he stood on the podium with his hands in the air. Like the whole race, the, all the strokes involved, like every meticulous detail, both going through it in his mind from waking up to winning the race and like standing on the podium. So like that seems extreme for most people, but if you can create like this mental roadmap in your mind, and then when it's time to do it, you're not nervous, you know what's gonna happen and you Absolutely. just go through the motions and you're just like hitting your points and going on the next one. Absolutely. I think there's a lot to be said for self-fulfilling prophecy too. Like not only in uh, sports, but in life, like your, the, your mental state and what you believe you can do is your cap. Sure. Your cap is up here, then you're going to achieve up here. But if your cap is down here, then you're going to achieve that. And so mentally prepping, if you want to say that, or mentally visualizing or setting goals, like whatever you think you can do, you will, you can. Yeah. And that's really cool in all realms of life, whether it's quitting your job and starting your own business or traveling or whatever. Like, yeah. as long as you visualize that and see that for yourself, you can make it happen. Really, you are your own creator of your own life. It's as much as people seem like they're being pushed around by all these external forces, which you are sometimes. Yeah. Um, you, you have the ability to change a lot in your life. Absolutely. I always say that in my yoga classes, I always say that your life is a blank canvas and you're a painter. And when we're kids, that's really easy. That's like, oh yeah, I want to, I have all these dreams and aspirations and I want to do this with my life. And as we grow up, we kind of become like, eh, like, curmudgeons. <laughs> like, well, this is it. This is my life. And we kind of forget that we still have that power. Yeah. Even if you're 60 years old, if you want to turn your life around, you can. Sure. And so I'm, I'm kind of in the midst of doing that myself. You know, I started my own business selling parts online. I have access to, and I'm an authorized dealer of 35 motorsport brands um, out of my house, out of my basement. So like uh, doing it all by myself, I'm one employee type of business. So it's not there yet, but I'm, I'm growing it. And in the meantime, while I still need to make money and, uh, you know, live and pay expenses, I'm uh, I became a track marshal, so I'm a race official for, for motorcycle racing and cars, Formula awesome. One, IndyCar, um, mostly motorcycles, though. And so going around to different events, Florida, I've already been to Florida, I think, four times this year, and Texas and Georgia, and just going all around to different events, because there's not a whole lot going on in Michigan in the wintertime. Um, so you got to usually travel to get there, but 
Um, and then this past weekend, I just became a certified motorcycle riding coach for uh, street riders who are looking to get their endorsement. Um, it's actually staggering and very surprising to me how many riders are riding unendorsed who have never taken any sort of formal class. Um, and so I took this class, it's uh, MSF, Motorcycle Safety Foundation. I took this class uh, 13 years ago, I think, maybe 14 years ago, a long time ago, uh, when I first got my license. And it's only $50 for a weekend class and they teach you everything you need wow. to know from this is what a clutch does and this is the shift lever to this is how you make a tight turn in a, uh, in a parking lot so you don't fall over, you know, right. um, and basic clutch control. So um, we've already taught a couple of classes and it's cool seeing the students who maybe were riding for 10 years unendorsed and get, getting them finally officially uh, the right paperwork and everything yeah. uh, to be legal and not get pulled over and get their bike towed, which would be a bad day. Um, and then for the people who've never rode a bike, uh, maybe never even seen a clutch lever before, uh, getting them from knowing nothing to at the end of the weekend in two days, getting them to ride a motorcycle, at least uh, at a basic level, is pretty rewarding. That's awesome. Absolutely. What did you do before this? So I'm a racer also, um, but I've run into some financial difficulties for because racing is obviously very expensive. So that's why I started my business to help fund uh, racing, a racing program at a professional level. Um, so I've raced modified sport bikes, like road racing on pavement with left turns and right turns, uh, elevation up and down. Usually a lap is maybe two miles or so. And we're going up to about 160 miles an hour in some of the classes. They go up to like the top level MotoGP is over 220 miles an hour on a oh, motorcycle. Wow. So um, not quite that fast yeah. as those guys. It's another 70 miles an hour faster than, than we are in our class. So um, pretty quick stuff. So racetrack only is what I like to do uh, for cars and motorcycles, go-karts, uh, race some mountain bikes too. I don't have a ton of experience with motocross or dirt yet, but that's another avenue I'd like to get better at. Um, anytime you're sliding in the dirt, you, um, you learn how the tires work pretty quick. It's amazing. Uh, different sports working with the kind of ground underneath you. Yeah. So like snowboarding, snowboarding on a day with ice is so different than snowboarding on a day with powder versus on, snowboarding on a day with um cascade concrete which is what we call our powder and so like every like learning each day of like oh how can I manipulate this ground beneath me but same with uh biking like Mark and I just picked up mountain biking last season and we learned very quickly that riding on top of loose dirt like sand taking turns is very different than taking turns on like a little wet more wet dirt mm. um it slides out way easier when you have that loose drier dirt and so like just getting to know the ground that you're riding on is i think such a fun aspect of every sport yeah it's uh it's always difficult and it changes throughout the day and it changes based on your tire pressure and uh, how fast you're riding your lean angle so you gotta be very adaptable uh quickly and when i was doing some mountain bike racing it was a uh, state of michigan um championship so there's a 10 10 round championship and uh most of the events i've never been to and i'm not fit enough to be able to pre-ride the course before the race and then be still fresh for the race so 
most of these events, I was racing it blind. I had no idea which way I'm going. Um, I mean, the trail's marked, but like you're blind half the time with all the elevation up and down in corners. You don't know where you're going for another two turns. Um, and so you're coming around a corner at 20 miles an hour. It's a hairpin left and there's sand in the corner. You're like, oh crap, this is not good. You know, you just gotta uh, be so committed to, to making that corner. Like, and uh, better not be too much on the front tire, you're washed out. Yeah. Is there yeah. anyone that um, does the lap once before the race? Like, are there people who actually do that? I'm sure that they, you know, some people are locals. They, they're familiar to it. Um, I'm living in the southeast part of Michigan and there's, you know, a race four hours away. I'm not gonna, Right. Um, I don't really have the ability to go up there the weekend before. I mean, some people make a, if they're serious about it, yeah, I'm sure they're hitting all the rounds on a normal basis. But um, for me, I'm just trying to dip my toe into a new form of uh, racing sport, you know, a uh, new discipline for me that's really cheap to do. It's like 40 bucks an event instead of, you know, a couple thousand for racing a motorcycle. So yeah. um, it's good training. Totally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I would assume also that the ability to read the terrain last second is important. Uh, oh, yeah. To the, you know, motorcycles as well. Yeah, because uh, say you have a rain event at a, at a racetrack, um, whether it's a mountain bike race or a road race for motorcycles, uh, you race in rain or shine. So uh, as long as there's not thunder and lightning or tornado winds, that type of thing, uh, or heavy fog, you have to be able to see at least the next corner um, yeah. so that the flag marshals can see each other and communicate and everything. Um, so yeah, it's a, always a constantly changing surface. And with motorcycles, you have uh, degrading tires throughout the, uh, throughout the race. And I was just watching a race from a couple of years ago I have on YouTube. And you can see my, it might've been the fourth or fifth race of that day I was doing at an eight lap, lap sprint race. So my tires are shot and uh, I'm coming around the corner, um, going on the longest straightaway and spinning up the rear tire. And at that point, I'm just trying to finish the race because my tires are not at optimal capacity. And the racers I'm, I'm with probably have new tires on their bike. They may only do one or two races the whole weekend and I'm doing six. So I'm at a disadvantage already. And then, you know, your bike is changing underneath you with the fuel load. You might start with a full fuel tank by the end of the race, you might have lost a couple gallons, uh, depending on how long the, the race is. So that's uh, 20 pounds maybe of difference in fuel. Um, yeah. and, and that feels a, a lot different sloshing around um, in your tank at the end of the race. That makes sense. If you're having to adjust your body movements to like maybe your turn, you don't lean as hard because your bike weighs less. Right, so these fine um, adjustments you're always making, just like in mountain bike racing, it's uh, always these fine adjustments to uh, try to get their best uh, time through that sector. Absolutely. So, uh, what would be some tips you guys have for new, new snowboarders, new skiers, people getting into the sport uh, in your industry? Yeah, so someone new uh, getting into snowboarder skiing, I can, I can relate to more to snowboarding. Um, I would say start with the basics first. So, you know, skating, getting to know your equipment, uh, getting on and off the lift, starting on the bunny hill. I think the mistake people make is they jump up uh, to more advanced terrain too soon, um, whether that's because of ego or they just think they're ready. 
Um, and I would also, I, I know not everyone can do this, but choose the, the right day because there are days that are forgiving uh, because you're gonna be on your butt a lot. And then there are days that aren't when it's icy uh, or concrete. And um, the, I think the statistics are wild as far as how many people go up snowboarding uh, like once or twice a year and then never do it again or uh, you know whatever just because they have a, a bad time um, and that's the challenge right now in the snow industry is how do you keep these people uh, you know the, the money aside how do you keep these people coming back and buying multiple tickets and buying the hotels and food and you know all that stuff but um, yeah that would be my my advice I would say take a lesson um, that's something mm. I didn't do. I don't think you did either. No. Yeah, I didn't uh, do that because when I was starting snowboarding, I was just going with my buddies and they like said they would teach me. And buddies teaching you is great, but it's nothing like a snowboarding coach mm -hmm. and having that one-on-one -on -one time. And I will say when you ride with your buddies, there's almost a um, sense of like urgency, like, oh, I, I'm holding them back. I need to get up. I need to go. And then you wreck and then you get up and it can become emotional too. And so I would say just let your buddies go and take a class with a coach and it'll be way, way better for your body too, because you're probably going to fall less if you do that. And so it's a little bit of prevention there as well. Sure, I would highly recommend that as well. Um, taking taking class, taking a, getting a coach, uh, taking a lesson, I should say. Um, yeah. And so I was very fortunate with the group that I went with. Um, they had, if you took the bus to get to the mountain, you got a free lesson in that uh, in your in your lift ticket. So every single time for a while that I went, I, I just took the lesson. I was like, well, why not? It's only like an hour or two. I'm going to be there for like eight hours or something. So, you know? so why not just take the lesson? And I think I occurred um, like six black patches over my time because I didn't tell them I already had one. I took it off my jacket or I had it on my lift tag still. So I just like, yeah, I'm just taking the class. And they're like, wow, you're good. Here's your pack. You know? <laughs> and then for a while, I was like, well, this is kind of silly. I don't really need to do this anymore. So I took it completely switch, um, opposite direction. And I got black patches going switch. So Yay. I learned how to do both directions flawlessly. Um, and, I and what really helped me do that was um, realizing that how much you really have to rotate your torso to feel comfortable and learning it a second way. is like, man, I know how to do this. Why can't I learn how to do switch so easily? Yeah. And it's like reteaching yourself how to do it makes yep. it easier the other way too. Yes, absolutely. That was actually my goal this season was to become more confident in switch because once you unlock switch, you unlock so many, yeah. so many other tricks like 180s any kind of rotation you just feel more comfortable that any way you land you know which you know you know how to grab on your toes yeah and, and so uh, yeah. i had come from a, a skateboarding background i mean not mm -hmm. uh that proficient as far as like crazy tricks and stuff but i used to go to a skate park and half pipes and did street stuff um did wakeboarding for many years my family um owns a cottage and so we'd always go to the, the lake at least a couple of times a year and, and wakeboard and slalom ski and, and uh, skiing on water, water skiing. So um, all that stuff is definitely a good foundation for, for snowboarding too. Absolutely. Yeah, that's why we, we try to encourage people to 
take on a sport in the off season, like whether it's mountain biking or wakeboarding, which would be a really good comparison, skateboarding, surfing, those kind of sports, not only like what we talked about earlier, keep you in that mindset of acting quickly and acting like getting in that zone, that flow state, but also keeps your body moving with those rotations and with those hips and just keeps you fresh. Yeah. So uh, I'm embarrassed to say I did sell my snowboard on eBay. I sell everything. So I'm like, I kind of needed a new one. So I sold it to get my money out of it. I just haven't bought a new one yet. So oh, dang, uh, are you going to? I, yeah, that's the plan. I had a K2, um, I forget the model of it, but it was a whiteboard. I had it for years. It was uh, pretty nice. It, uh, you get attached to them. And it was one of those symmetrical boards. So because I like to go switch, you can do switch uh, identically the opposite way with that board because some of the boards as you know are are like one direction they're they're built for going one one way oh, yeah. yeah personally i i prefer the twin as well so you know you could do either direction i think my only one direction is my powder board and um yeah that's the only this is the only time i would ever use it is for in the powder but otherwise it's nice to be able to have that option yeah and um I just saw some of your content recently. Now you're representing a certain snowboard brand? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're working with Cardiff Snowcraft based out of Utah. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're super excited. Uh, they're very, they're, it's, it's a not your average bear when it comes to snowboards, uh, just because um, they started by an architect. The design and quality of the boards is nothing like I've ever seen. Maybe I'm a little biased, but um, you know, they specialize in split boards. Um, you know, powder specific uh, directional boards. Um, but yeah, definitely check them out if you can. You just check out the website itself. It'll just make your jaw drop. It's um, mm. very, very impressed. Yeah, the Cardiff boards, what I like is they started making split boards. Like they, they made split boards first. And that's, I don't think anyone else in the industry has done that. Everyone has always made a solid and then went to split. But they were so passionate about backcountry and getting snowboarders out into the backcountry that they made a split first and they perfected it so much that people were like, oh, like, can you make solids? Yeah. And so they started making solids. So like, that's just a testament of how good they're like, how well made their boards are. Yeah. You know, this is reminding me, I think in probably uh, middle school, we did some sort of project, like what would be your ideal career? And I chose being a snowboard maker or a snowboard manufacturer. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been on my mind for years. I just, I'm not an architect or anything. I never went to school for that stuff, but it always kind of piqued my interest because I'm like, I love snowboards. If I could make snowboards and be like art, artsy with it and make all these cool designs and, totally. um, you know, it's a cool occupation that you can just make your own snowboards a la carte yourself and start, you know, having a template for everything. And uh, there's obviously so many different uh, niches that you could go down with snowboards because um, there's, you know, different terrain boards and different, you know, styles of riding that you could do that's, and um, somebody might like your particular design and try it out. Mm, absolutely. Which is a really cool part of Cardiff too, is they're the maker of Cardiff is an act. He is an actual architect. Yeah. Awesome. Because I don't think you really, you don't have to be an architect to make snowboards. Right. But he is, and that's just freaking cool. It's different lens uh, and approach yeah. to design. Um, yeah. I think actually originally he entered a contest uh, by making like a lot of these small companies. There's a big contest, I forget where, um, but he entered it and won. And then I think that's how it was born. 
And then he entered um, another one with a different board mm -hmm. one again. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you could uh, probably use those fundraising websites, Kickstarter or something like that to probably get started too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's so many small companies, uh, you know, popping up uh, mm -hmm. snowboard companies that, you know, whether it's the design or the, the shape or whatever that um, it's, it's cool to see. It's not dominated by like three or four companies anymore. There's, there's a bunch. Yeah. We have a buddy up at Timberline who he really loves this board. I don't know what the company is, but you can put your own design. Like they just make this, the plain white snowboard. And then you can just choose what graphic you want. Like you can literally send them a picture and he has like this anime on his <laughs> board. And it's really cool because you can make your own yeah. like graphics. It'd be a uh, very unique uh, one-off. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Totally. <laughs> yep. Um, and I, one of my aspirations for my business is I do motorsports, and that's I do sell globally. So you know there are some uh, overlaps where we're selling stuff in the winter to you know South Africa or Australia, uh, wherever. But um, I would like to have all seasons covered. Like it'd be nice to have so a snow a snowboard company that I would be available or authorized to sell for the winter months. Uh, maybe some gloves, boots for, for wintertime so that I have not only the summertime aspect, but, you know, may, maybe have some hockey and, and snowboarding stuff as well. It would be nice addition to have, uh, not have a slow season. Absolutely. Absolutely. So many people in the industry have that same um, concern. Like we have a lot of buddies who work in the snowboard industry, whether it's online with their own business or just at a resort. And that's the hard part is like, okay, now that the season is up and you make a bulk of your income during the season. And then you have to kind of uh, be very smart with it because you don't make much or for some people any during the off season. And so I think yeah. a lot of people are trying to figure out that same thing. Yeah. There's a store near me called uh, D and D bicycles and hockey. It's like, well, how'd you get to those two? That's the same kind of concept. They're trying to uh, limit their down down season or low season uh, times. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of our focus too. Is in the winter months, it's well, we started mostly with snowboarders, and in the winter months, that's who we focus on. But in the summer, you know, we rock climb, we mountain bike, we uh, do trail runs, like all the things that we participate in, we like to help with. Yeah. And so if someone wanted to take one of your classes for yoga, where would they go or what do they do and how much is it? Is there a fee? Yeah, well, how it works is there's a bunch of different ways you can get to it, but overall it's just mobilityduo.com. And when you go there, there's a link for Snoga. That's just the name of our membership. It's yoga for snowboarders. Um, but what happens is we have weekly long classes and right now we're actually doing a 30 days of yoga series. Okay really cool so every day is like 10 to 15 minutes of yoga in the morning everything is saved and put up so even if you can't go to the live classes you can just go at your own time and then on two times a week there's hour-long classes there's one in the morning one in the evening and there's like almost a hundred classes saved already so you can just oh, wow. think and you can just go and search and be like i want something for back pain and like you can do a flow for that or I want something to open up my hips and you can do something for that and so um yeah that's how people join it's just going to our website and for we have a monthly rate and an annual rate and so like you can pay month to month kind of like a renter you know or you can pay 
for the whole year and it's like I don't know uh $120 less mm -hmm. if, you, if pay you pay all up front for the year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. gotcha nice yeah it sounds like you got a couple different options for people to to pay for it and you got a lot of different classes so it sounds like you got a, a whole shebang yeah and Absolutely. it's only growing I mean we're getting to know I mean Mark bless his soul he is the uh the tech I am so I I try not to say this because I want to be tech savvy but I grew up without um any computers tv or anything until I was in college and then that whole world was introduced to me so um I have a hard time with tech so he's been figuring out how to like upgrade the website too so where people can favorite there's like they can say that they, this is their favorite yoga class and they can go to a section where it's all their favorites and they can redo or they can search and there's all these yeah so we're constantly getting better yeah and i'm sure at a certain point you have so many users you might have to upgrade your servers and all that thing to accommodate more users so there's a lot to you know building a website and i'm i'm learning myself uh, i'm not a coder um but nowadays there's a lot of drop uh, drag and drop kind of features that you can uh you can use from other websites that have developed this and you just pay them five bucks a month or whatever for that feature, which is nice. Yeah, we do a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, that's the beauty of being a small business owner is you wear all hats. So um, the nice thing about Sarah and I is we have two people, so yeah. we can focus on different things. Um, Sarah is definitely the the charisma and, and the, you know, the brain behind the yoga. And I'm the behind the scenes, um, kind of the finance guy. And um, it works well. But someone who is by themselves yeah. um, doesn't have the means to hire out just yet, it'd be a lot harder. You know, I, I can't imagine, you know, being in your shoes and having to do all of that. Um, yeah. The shipping, the website, the communication, the, the books, like it's a lot. It definitely is. And I've thought about getting a partner or something like that. But at the same time, then you lose some equity, you lose some ownership a little bit. I mean, it, my name's on it, so I'm not losing the ownership, but um, it's kind of at the same time. I don't know if it's a great thing to have my name on it because yes, I'm getting my name out there, but um, it'd be maybe harder to sell at some point. Uh, if that, you know, down the road, who wants to buy Eric Swan racing? It's, you know, it's all based on your reputation also. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, so it's just uh, hit or miss. You know, I talked to somebody who was coming on this podcast and she said, you know, I really don't want my name out there. She gave me like uh, the name of her business instead of her, her, her uh, full name, which is fine. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, that's me and my business. So. Right. Yeah. So, uh, thought on that. It's hard when a business is attached to your, you, like we are our, we are mobility duo. We are our brand. We are our business. Um, even though it's not like Sarah and Mark's mobility duo, it's just mobility duo. But like you said, it's it can really uh, create burnout because we can't really hand it off. You know, we can't have someone else make the content. We can't have someone else uh, buy it from us, which is okay because we love doing what we do. Yeah. But we are trying to figure out ways to um share the load in the future like seeing if we want to invite other yoga teachers or other physical therapists that are um maybe a like a mountain bike rider or a motocross or like just a specialty in their sport and be like okay now you teach yoga on our platform to those people to that sport 
Yeah, I see, that, I see that that could work to, um, to have experts in their own field teach about uh, along the same lines of your thinking and your um, beliefs with you know, yoga teaching and all that. Yeah. Um, I think that could be one way to kind of step outside of it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your face, you know, as long as they are a knowledgeable yoga coach in their own field. Um, it could be a good platform for others to share their knowledge. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually did. To follow up with that, I actually kind of disagree with Sarah oh, really? um, and, and yourself, just because I think as a business, I mean, imagine this business as a ball of clay. You can mold this however you want. There are multi-billion dollar companies that have the last name of the founder mm, that do that right. all the time. Yeah. I mean, look at, for example, Bear Paint. I'm sure, I don't know the history of that, but I'm sure the guy's name or woman was Bear. Yeah. Um, but now it's it's a multi-million dollar paint company. Right. Um, it just it just depends on how you want to develop that and mold that you can slowly step out of the scene hand off the reins to other people you can develop your company to be whatever you want that's, um, that, that's the beauty and the and the, the difficult part of business is making those decisions and trust is a big one um but yeah i i think it may be harder uh you know with your last name as the, as the racing company but I don't think it's impossible. I think you could absolutely, you know, develop that to however you want it to be. Yeah, that's a good point because if you think about it, all businesses are pretty much names of people like Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, or like Henry Ford, you know, yeah. it's everywhere. And people have said like, "Oh, Eric Swan, that's a catchy name." Like, thank you. I <laughs> that's the one I was given, I guess. <laughs> well, it's all marketing, right? It's the trust that people have in Eric Swan Racing. They 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 see Eric Swan Racing, they go, "Oh, I, I trust this company is going to send me my parts quickly or mm. maybe you start developing parts in the in the future. I yeah. trust these are going to be quality parts and not crap out on me halfway through the race." Mm. Um it doesn't have to be your face anymore. It just it, it comes down to the the marketing and the trust behind that name. Yeah. It is. I also think to be able to do what you said and like move the business from like, okay, this is just me to um, maybe a little bit more hands-off. I think it'd be really important to kind of like snowboarding, how we talked about earlier of having a coach, having someone who is successful in that to mentor you and be like, oh, how did you move from, I mean, of course those people are hard to find, but how did you move from, you know, doing this solely on your own to then being able to step away a little bit because trial and error is always going to take a lot longer. Yeah. Then, then actually talking to someone who's been through it, who's maybe uh, five to 10 years ahead of where you are, I think is very valuable too. Absolutely. So do you guys have mentors who you, uh, who you try to glean information from or try to learn from? I think, yeah, everyone has mentors. I mean, anyone who says they don't, I think is lying. Um, you know, we've had a, a, a few uh, along the way. Um, you know, I'm not going to name any names on this, but um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you need uh, guidance, especially as a small business owner, because everyone is, gonna hit, is going to hit a roadblock um, or, or, you know, be between a crossroads of which direction to take. Mm -hmm. And I think whether that's your friends, your family, uh, you know, people outside your, your company, um, just to talk shop and throw ideas out there and give you a different lens on the situation because everyone's outlook on the world is different. And maybe you just need a different view, a different perspective. You need to walk a mile in someone else's shoes to see what they're looking at. Um, 
So yeah, that would be my, my take on it. Yeah, I would say the nice thing about being um, online, social media, is that you have so many people who have so many other of their own skills that can chime in and be like, hey, I'm a, um, I do this, or I'm a professional in this field. Can I help you? Because they care about what you're doing. Yeah. And so that's been really cool too, is even though we don't know all the answers, we have a lot of people who we care for and they care for us. They want to see us succeed. Mm-hmm. And so we can help more people and they help us with just, you know, the goodness of their hearts. Like it's yeah, cool to have sure. these little mentors too. Sounds like you got a good community of people around you and I'm doing this to help promote you guys. Uh, I don't expect a dollar from you for doing this. It's just, you know, uh, at one point it's, it's free content for me. Uh, it's good content for you. Hopefully uh, we still got people watching at this point and um, just trying to help promote people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate that. And that's what's cool about these kind of platforms too, is like, we don't have to um, exchange money to do stuff like this. It's mutually beneficial. Yeah, exactly. So I'll share it to my network of people. You do do the same and hopefully we have a little bit of uh, overlap in followers and some people will check you out and vice versa. And what's cool about that too, is it's not always about um, us getting more eyes or you getting more eyes, but we like to think of it as like, we want to help our community. Yeah. And so when we do talks with, we've done talks with um, snowboard specific nutritionists or mental health therapists or whatever, we want to be able to have those resources to be like, hey, our community, if you're struggling in this field, go check out them. Like it kind of becomes a network. And so like we know people and um, you know, bike racing, we'll be like, oh, go check out Eric. And because it's just building our network. Yeah. And making new friends. You know, I, I did not think um, I would be learning a ton of stuff by doing this podcast. I thought it would just be like a nice thing to talk to people and like create some stuff. But I, I've learned a ton from talking to now a hundred people on this podcast for at least an hour. You know, how often do you sit down with somebody and just talk to them for an hour without looking at your phone or distractions? It's for me, it's only this time really is when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the beauty of podcasts these days, right? Like there's so much information out there and, you know, we have, we have a lot of downtime or or times where, you know, for example, driving or whatever on a bus. And now we have this uh, ability at our fingertips to learn all this knowledge of yeah. their interests and it's, it's pretty cool it is cool for sure and uh is there anything on your mind you wanted to talk about today maybe we haven't covered um i think for me i think for me is just that movement is a gift yeah. that i think many of us take advantage of and until you are um until that is taken away from you, until you are in that realm or world where you see people who can't move or who are vulnerable with injury, that you realize how precious this really is. And I just encourage those to um, maybe don't have the motivation to move or uh, aren't doing it because whatever reason, life takes over. Just take a walk, uh, whether it's 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I, I feel like walking is, is extremely powerful, meditative. Um, and, uh, yeah, if, if you do get the motivation to look into strength training, flexibility, mobility work, uh, because I think it can change your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just the physical, but the mental side of that, and mm-hmm. it can really spark, uh, as cliche as it sounds, it can really, you know, create a, a ball kind of rolling down the hill. And, um, 
opportunities um, arise in Absolutely. other areas of your life. So that would be my, That's my a take great on answer. that. Yeah. yeah, you know, I've been uh, unfortunately injured many times throughout my career of racing and riding and, you know, playing sports and all that. So, and snowboarding as well. And it's, uh, you don't realize how good you had it yesterday before you were injured. And now you don't have a function of your collarbone or your arm or your legs or whatever the injury is. And it's like, oh man, you feel like almost this depression come over you because I could do this yesterday, but I can't do it today. And, uh, and so for me, wanting to get back to um, in shape or not injured uh, is such a priority uh, when you are injured. And it's, it's amazing to me now regaining full uh, capability of my body that uh, people don't use it. People waste it, you know, but whether it's being overweight or whatever the issue is or not using their body and letting it rust or rot, um, for lack of a better term, is it's really frustrating to see that from, uh, it's like you have the ability to use your body and you're not using it somebody in a wheelchair would love to have those legs and you're not doing anything with it. And that kind of irritates me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Great point. I think the other thing is people get overwhelmed and um, you know, with, wow. with maybe they stop exercising and they want to get back into it. One, they don't know how they don't have the knowledge, but they get overwhelmed thinking, well, I don't have the time to do this, but even if it's five minutes of movement of a quick mm-hmm. squats, lunges, uh, push-ups, whatever, something basic, um, that's all it takes. The hardest part is getting started. Yeah. Uh, it's about building habits. You know, if, if you have a habit to work out every day, it's not a big deal. It's just like, this is what makes my body feel good that I need to do this to, you know, touch my toes again because I'm getting getting stiff, you know, I haven't stretched in uh, a couple hours, you know, you feel that you sit on a plane for a couple hours, like, oh, man, I need to stretch again. It, it's that quick. Um, so, yeah, it's um, just all about building those habits. Yeah, and I think, I think, but I think the last thing for me is um, everyone's an athlete, you know, we tend to put ourselves in these boxes of, oh, I'm a motocross guy, I'm a snowboarder, I'm a climber. But at the, end, at, at the end of the day, Whatever. like, yeah, the 80 year old is just as much of an athlete as Tom Brady on the football field. Mm-hmm. It's just different platforms. So movement, strength, flexibility, mobility, they apply to everyone, you know? Um, and I think people don't realize that, that uh, there's, there's benefits all around, regardless of your the platform of your sport or activity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you have a body, you're an athlete. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, life is a contact sport. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like how, you know, they always say perfect practice makes perfect, perfect, you know, like, and so when you take on every day and you practice these habits that you're talking about, even if they start really small of like, okay, I'm just going to drink water first thing in the morning, or I'm going to do a five minute meditation, or I'm going to do a five minute yoga or whatever it is. Like, even if you start small, when you practice those habits, they get bigger and they grow and then you pick up more good habits and then you become your optimal self. Yeah. You know, like it's just a lifelong journey to get there. It's not an overnight process. It's just every day you got to keep doing it. It's a long game. It is a long game. (laughs) And so what is uh, anything coming up in the future for your, um, your classes that you can talk about any, uh, any interesting things or events happening? Yeah, so Mark just started doing, I forgot to mention this, on our Snoga page, it's not just yoga anymore. 
Mark just started doing um, weekly workouts. workouts. And so people can join those lives or watch the recording as well. And then Mark is also doing his yoga teacher training at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm joining on just to, you know, great in my experience too. And he's going to start teaching yoga once that's over. Nice. Now, what what is involved in uh, becoming a yoga teacher? Do you have to do a certain amount of classes or go through a training class? Yeah, so it's a 200-hour program. 200 hours, wow. Yeah, so it's a lot of, it's it's a mix of studying, reading, meditative uh, practices, yoga practice, obviously the teaching side. Um, mine is different because I'm doing it online. So normally this would be in person over a period of three, four weeks to six months. Okay. Um, but mine, I'm expecting to take three to four months, uh, a little bit every day, every other day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's intensive, you know, it's, it's school. Um, and it's, it's a little scary for me just because I'm not, I'm not familiar. I'm more familiar with the strength, flexibility, mm-hmm. the rehab side of things. Uh, so this is another, uh, side of movement that I've never really dove into, but I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've actually considered being a teacher because I've done, uh, over 140 classes it's like, I probably could teach a class by now. I've, I've yeah. heard it a hundred times. So um, yeah, it's just now, um, now you've got to be doing the exercise and talk about it as you're doing it, which is a little bit more difficult to you know. It's, it's one thing here and it's another thing uh, explaining it to people. Yep. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yep. And it, it's going to take practice, you know, like anything, I get scary the first few times, but you know, I could, I could, um, lead someone through the, through a gym with my eyes closed or, or walk them through rehab exercises with my eyes closed. So it's like anything else. It'd be scary at first, but it gets easier over time. I'm sure like with racing, it was scary at first, but now it's second nature. Yeah. I mean, uh, people always say, well, how do you go that fast? Well, I'm like, you don't start there. You start going like parking lot speeds around the racetrack until you go a little bit faster and a little bit faster. Um, like, yeah, you just slowly build up speed. Um, and most people think, oh, I'm going to fly off the racetrack. Well, um, if you're, if you're going to say either you went too fast or too slow, 99% of the time people go way too slow. Uh, it's not too much of, uh, out of control speeds and just flying off the track. That's, that's more rare. So it's, um, much more controlled and, and calm than people think of it as. Yeah. Um, yeah. Confident. Yeah, a lot of people have this idea that uh, we're just crazy people. We're listening to heavy metal music and just going, you know, crazy before a race. And um, most of the time, you look, watch a pro race, they're all just super calm. You know, maybe sipping on their water underneath the umbrella, just trying to keep get some shade and reduce their heart rate. Just, just relaxing. Yeah. Just waiting for the race. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I have a question for you. Yeah. What's the difference between a professional, let's say, MotoGP guy and the amateur circuit uh, as far as their skill level on a bike, the times, um, and mentality? So there's um, going from professional Moto America to MotoGP, uh, as far as lap times, you're talking, well, they're different machines completely. MotoGPs are all prototype, uh, unique bikes that you cannot really buy off the showroom. Um, Moto America here in the States, professional series, they are production-based bikes. So it's an idea you can go to the showroom and buy one and now basically strip down all the parts and put all new parts on it, but it's the same chassis. Um, And then they would do engine work still. So it's, it's, 
a far cry from the showroom bike, but you could still buy it technically. Um, and so, for example, we just had a, a five-time U.S. champion uh, in motorcycle racing at our top level in the country go over to the Moto2 class, um, which is one step down from MotoGP. It's a 600 class, essentially. Um, 765, I think it is now. And he got just got his best finish of fourth place at his 38th race. So a five-time champion. I, I don't want to say the word is struggling because he's not. He's doing really well. But yeah. it's just you're not going to go overseas to the next level and immediately start winning. It is yeah. such a competitive field. It'll take you at least probably two seasons to even get a podium um, for most people. So, you know, it's a stacked field of every single person in that championship is a world is a, at least a national champion in their own country, um, if not already a world champion at other levels. Um, so it's an, it's an incredibly stacked field. You might have, you know, in some of the classes at the finish line, 20 riders finished within 10, 20 seconds of the, of the race leader. So, whereas in the States, you might have a lot of the guys at the mid pack to end of the field might be club racers, might be um, amateurs who are doing a wild card one-off event. Maybe they do a couple of races a season um, or who are maybe their first season as a pro. So you have a lot bigger gaps at the end of the race on some people getting lapped. And now, even at a pro race, I worked at Road Atlanta in Georgia this year. They had 40 riders qualify for the race, and they only took 28 um, based on their lap times. So it's, and these are riders who are seasoned pros. It's not their first year doing it, um, who've been riding and racing for 15 years and who didn't qualify for the event. So it's an incredibly difficult and uh, very stacked field as far as in first, second, third, fourth, fifth place might be covered by one second in lap time. You know, it's very, very tight. Um, on a variety of machines too. It's a, uh, they try to make it so the rules are, you can race a BMW, a Yamaha, a Ducati, a Kawasaki in the same class and with the same general engine specs. So they're all basically the same horsepower, uh, but each bike has its own unique characteristics. Um, so one bike, bike might be faster in a straight line, the other bike might be better at turning, and so some tracks you might suffer, some tracks you might have a good day, uh, kind of all depends, and, and the rider, wh whether or not you're on a certain bike, the rider has uh, the more influence over the, the speed and trajectory of that bike than any bike will. Mm -hmm. so it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination of everything put together um, and the skill level to uh, try to find the best package. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, Eric, I hate to cut a short, but I have a massage ther uh, therapy client I need to get to. Well, no problem. That's about an hour. Um, so I appreciate you guys coming on. I still have a couple to edit and post before I get to this one, but um, I'll be sure to tag you guys in it and uh, share it as much as I can. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much Thanks for having, for having us. us. Sure. Uh, take care and I'll see you at the racetrack. All right. See ya. Bye, All Eric. Right.